Traveling Story Podcast, and we are excited uh, today. Um, it is my honor, and um, I'm so excited that um, we were able to make time to do this with Bishop Trevor Reed um, from uh, the Bridge of Hope Church up in Greensboro, North Carolina, is with us. Um, I was telling him right before we started recording that I met him at a youth event or college career age event in South Carolina with a good friend of ours, uh, uh, Brother Chucky Chandler. Um, everybody that um, knows youth ministries knows Chucky Chandler, it seems like. Um, but uh, we're super excited to have uh, Bishop on. Thank you so much for joining us today, Bishop. No problem. Great to be with you. Um, we always start off uh, with a question, and I say this every time we ask this. It seems like an easy question until we start thinking about it. Um, but the, uh, the scripture tells us that we are overcomers by um, the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Um, do you remember how life was before you encountered Jesus Christ? <laughs> well, I was saved at six. I uh, came into the kingdom at six years old uh, in a youth camp. And um, I just remembered, uh, my parents had always told us that, you know, their, their faith can't save me, uh, that, you know, we would have to know the Lord for ourselves. And I just remember responding. I had several of my friends who were on my left and on my right. They, they responded to the same message. Uh, but I look at that around, you know, almost 40 years later. And I'm, I may be one of the, there's a couple of them, but I'm, I'm one of the few that's still uh, in the grace of God. And I just think there was just an awareness that I needed the Lord. Uh, that I needed, I needed him to lead me. Yeah. And, um, you know, I guess I have a different view than many in terms of, for me, salvation is not, you know, saving me from hell. Salvation is reconciling me to the Father. And so um, I think I've been aware of my need that uh, I need to be with him. Yes. And uh, and so that that's the closest that I can get is I've always had an awareness that I need the Lord. You know, I, I don't need the Lord because I don't want to go to hell. I, I need him. And I've always felt that he wanted me. Yes. Uh, I just always had a deep sense that uh, it would be I would be a fool to say no to the God that wants me, that would choose me. And so I didn't feel like I had an option. Uh, I was raised in a Christian home, but my dad was a pastor. My grandfather was a pastor. His father was a pastor. I'm a fourth generation minister. And none of that moved me. Uh, even as a child, it was, I need him. Yes. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's what I can, that's how I responded. Yeah. And, and, I, and I also think, um, and I love how you said that, you know, it felt like not just a salvation from hell, but it, it felt like somebody wanted me and, and wanted me to be in their family. And, and I think if, you know, more people could understand that, that it's not just a salvation from trouble, that it's more of, hey, he wants to adopt me in. He, ha he has something in store for me. He, he, he loves me to that point. Um, the scripture tells us, you know, we're compelled 
um, by the love uh, of Jesus and the you know, love of God. And, and if we would understand that a little bit more, and, and I think as pastors and ministers, teach that and preach that a lot more. Um, how many people I, I, I think that's the struggle is that our pastors have, maybe because of culture or rearing or tradition, they followed that more than they have the scripture. Yes. And from, from the canon, going back to Genesis, it's all, what we lost was being in God's kingdom under his reign. Uh, the message was not that there's a sword outside of, uh, of Eden not letting us in or to kill us. <laughs> the message from Genesis was always uh, we left the father uh, because of our sin and he wants us back. Right. And from the beginning, Genesis 3, 15, God is in pursuit of us to bring us back into the kingdom. And we serve the only God that came after us. That's right. And so, um, and so, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, it's not about condemnation. We're condemned in sin. It's about, the father wants us back and has sent the son and the son in both obedience and just great love has come after us. That's right. And uh, so I love it. Yeah. I love the gospel. That's right. uh, yeah. And, and I, and I love, cause again, that's back to the gospel. That's not our opinions or our thoughts. That's the gospel um, right. that tells us the, the good news of Christ that, you know, we once fell, but God has continually tried to bring us back to him um, even to this point of bringing his son to, to die for us. And, and that gospel is something that we need to share more often. And, and, I, and I'm glad you brought that up. But why do you think we go back uh, and a lot of times? And, and listen, I love doctoring. I love our, you know, Church of God of Prophecy. I've grown up in Church of God of Prophecy. I love it. But it seems like we, we've gotten to a point, and it's not just the Church of God of Prophecy. I'm talking about the body of Christ, where we preach so much doctoring that we forget about that gospel, and teaching that gospel. Why do you think we go to that route? Well, uh, I think it's poor doctrine. I think it's poor doctrine. I think uh, in North America, I think greatly we were shaped by Billy Graham's ministry. Mm-hmm. And in, in Billy Graham and Campus Crusade, they shaped, uh, the go- they made the gospel the plan of salvation. And it being, uh, Jesus died for your sins and, um, and if you would trust in him, he would save you if you die. And they have the great saying, if you die tonight, you know, would you go to heaven? Mm-hmm. And so the gospel became not going to hell and it became the plan of salvation. The gospel of the kingdom goes all the way back to Genesis. It's yeah. preached through in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And it's always been the father is sending the spirit to uh, stir up our soul that we might come back to him. And so I think uh, biblical theology, the lack of it, uh, has hurt the church, hurt the pastors. Uh, we've, gotten into, we've gotten away from preaching the text and gotten into just preaching topical messages that, that come to our mind rather than just preaching the counsel of God as he's been speaking to his people from the beginning to now. Yeah. So I, I don't even, I don't know what other people in church of God of prophecy preach or what they preach in other movements. I just know, sorry, I hear people preach. Yeah. It, and I'm, I'm grimacing. I'm like, Oh God, <laughs> you know, like 
I don't know what they're talking about. Get their praise on, or I'm decreeing, and I'm this, and 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 you know, blessed and highly favored, and it's a lot of fluff. Yes, uh, and very little text uh, that the spirit is speaking. We've got the graphe, we've got the logos, and we've got the rhema. It's the word of God. We've got the writings of God which are the scriptures, we've got the incarnate word, which is Christ, and we've got that rhema word that Christ is speaking to our heart. And all of three are in alignment. Return to the Father who has called us back to himself. The kingdom, what is the message? The kingdom of Christ has come. That's right. So you don't even hear about the kingdom of God when we're preaching the gospel. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's part of the message. That that's right. In the gospel, Christ has come to bring us back into his kingdom. And so we, we leave, uh, we live in John 3, 16, as if that's the only passage, you know, that preaches the gospel. And it, it has hurt us in some way. Yes. Now, I know as a pastor's kid, you always feel like you're serving. Even before you were saved, you felt like you were serving. Um, hmm. Do you, do you remind, remember that time where it wasn't just being the pastor's kid serving, but it was, hey, this is what God has called me to do? You know, I, I've got to give props to my dad. Um, there was always an ethos of serving in the family, uh, even going back to my grandparents. But dad always, um, dad differentiated between what we were doing as a family and what the church was doing. And so we never were made to feel like I got to do this for the church. Yes. It's like, once you're in Christ, what is the Lord asking of us? I remember, I'll never forget that when dad would go to a new church, dad would say, oh, I first Sunday, uh, just got to make a statement to you before I get to the message. Thank God for my family. And I want you to know they are that. They are my family. Uh, they're not the pastor's children. They're Winston Reed's children. And just be mindful that if you speak to them, you're speaking to my children, not the pastor's kids. Yes. You're, talking to, you're talking to a father. And so he laid the groundwork. So I've never had a bad experience as a pastor's child in a family. I, I, there were healthy boundaries, I must admit. Mm -hmm. uh, not that the family was always perfect, <laughs> but the boundaries between the family and the church were fairly healthy. Yes. And whatever we did was because my parents were leading us as Christian parents. Yes. So uh, the, pastorate, the pastorate never scared me and never turned me off. I got you. Uh, and I'm thankful for that. I learned the gospel um, uh, pra practically through my, my parents and my grandparents. So uh, no, never felt like, now my kids sometimes, and I have to remind them, I said, listen, again, this is about Christ. Now, That's yeah, right. this is also me, your dad, <laughs> saying that, you know, you're going to help your father do this. But don't go blaming the church. The church ain't asking you to do anything. It's yes. me and Jesus. That's right. <laughs> um, so uh, when you started out serving, do you remember where you just felt your niche? Like, it, um, was it like youth ministry, Sunday school teacher um, um, it, that, that felt like, hey, this is where I need to be? Uh, I, remember, I remember receiving a, a strong call in my teen years. 
and uh, went to mission school and eventually went, uh, after coming through Canada, went to New York City to serve as an urban missionary uh, full time at 19. And um, I remember telling people, you could put me out over geriatric ministry. It wouldn't matter as long as I was serving God. Yes. Now, I later found out, yeah, it did matter because <laughs> they put me in the homeless, uh, homeless and outreach ministry, which was basically I was I mean, I was both to teach the drug crack. HIV, you name it, that was coming off the street, homeless, whatever. Yeah. We fed them, we fed them every Sunday. And so we fed them and then we did a service for them. And then during the week, I would look for them. And when when it was cold, you know, I would look to see if we can bring them inside for the night. And and listen, man, it it was hard, you yes. know, trying to get I remember Jose was always drunk and his wife was kicking him out the house. So I'd have to bring him to the church to try to get him coffee so he could sober up. And, 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 and then uh, can't remember the other guy, uh, great guy went to an Ivy league school, but uh, dropped out and ended up becoming homeless. And I had to look for him in the dead of winter. I hated it. You know, <laughs> I was, I don't like, this was New York city. I yes. don't like rats. Uh, I'm not an outdoors person and they were stink. Yeah. And, uh, but I said, and some of them were addicts. Yes. Uh, I, I remember still coming in contact with my first crack addict and it was like, oh my goodness, this is, you know, so it, it was, but we stuck with it yeah. and uh, we're fruitful in it. Thank God. But, uh, and when we were students, we had, you, you may be too young to know youth life teams. So when in Buffalo, New York, when we were, we were teenagers, we were filled with the Holy Spirit and we had youth leaders that had not gone to the training apparently. <laughs> and uh, they took us out to the red light district for a gospel witness. Yeah. So back in those days, they called it, I think VLB. And so the offering from that youth service was raised to buy the time of the prostitute. So they took us to the red light district and we would pay off the prostitute for 30 minutes, take her to get something food, share the gospel with her, you know, and some worked, some it worked out all right. And others, the pimp was kind of, you know, like, no, why, what 10 of y'all want this one girl? No, 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 you know, so, I just did whatever. I would do whatever. It didn't matter. And then I finally got into youth ministry and um, love that, you know, just love the families, love the students, love the family, um, and love being able to disciple students. So that was big. Yeah. Yes. And so, and I know with all those different places that you put, um, I, you could probably take everything from those and little things from those different things and help you grow to where you are today. And um, I know you're still learning. And the reason why I say that is because we have some people that are listening to this that says, Hey, I'm a greeter or I'm a missions or I'm this or that, but you can take something out of those things. Even if you feel like absolutely no positions too small. And I say this all the time, no positions too small for the kingdom of God. Every position has a part and you, you find what you can learn from those things and they help you grow to the person you are that day. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, and now I, I remember, um, uh, again, you, um, had some pastorate, uh, again, like you said, you've been in New York, you've been in Canada, different places. Um, you've also was the, uh, over all the youth ministries for the church of God of prophecy, um, and was able to travel all over the world. Um, can you tell me how, uh, cause I think as Americans, we get this mindset of how worship and how the gospel is and how church is. Can you tell me what the major difference was going around the world compared to being in America? Um, in some ways, it was exactly the same. Yes. Um, students in Venezuela, in Ukraine, and uh, in Georgia would dress the exact same way. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't matter what country you were, they would listen to the same music. Yeah. Uh, relatively, you know, with give or take, you know, a, an artist uh, inherent to that culture. Uh, the values were predominantly the same. Mm-hmm. Uh, America's America, America's Christianity is more independent minded, uh, less. Uh, so it's less community yes. and much more. It's always just about me and Jesus. It's not about me and the people of God where uh, I would say outside of America, the, and some of this comes from the ethos of America, of the American culture. You know, it's about the pursuit of happiness. And, and, and so it lends itself to an individualization. Uh, so I'd say that is part of it. Then you have also America did a, a great injustice to the world by broadcasting a, a, a prosperity gospel. Uh, which sadly is starting to take root in many places. And so, um, but there are still great places where it is a, it is just the gospel of the kingdom. Yes. Um, America, it spends a lot more time focusing on the ancillary things, the things on the outside. So, it's buildings, it is budgets, yes. uh, it is when we, we think of, when we think of serving the Lord, we think of being an usher or, a, or, or these roles in, in a church service. Mm-hmm. So everything is about Sunday. Yes, yes. Uh, where, you know, in a very real sense, uh, I would say the gospel is 24 seven, seven days a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, America, definitely the South, puts it into Sunday and Wednesday. What are you doing? <laughs> you know, and so, uh, and another big thing with America is America is is kicking and screaming, not grasping what does it mean to be a Christian uh, in a nominal or post-Christian culture. And so everywhere else in the world, everyone sees their culture as people to be one. Yes. America sees it doesn't recognize, American Christianity doesn't see its populace as people to be one. I got you. Uh, It's particularly in the South. Everybody thinks they're Christian. Yeah. And so, uh, or associates Christian with with politics. Mm-hmm. Whereas around the world, uh, 
cultures are antagonistic towards the, the gospel or dismissive automatically. And so people have to live as missional lifestyle, have mm -hmm. to live with a missional lifestyle. Whereas in America, it really is about, let me invite you to my service. Why don't you come to church? You know, it's that lingo. Whereas people are inviting you to their family mm -hmm. who is introducing you to the gospel. And then from there, we can invite you to us, to the body, if you will. Yeah. So it's in that sense, it's different. More, uh, I guess, like acts related where they would go to house to house. Um... Depending the area, depending yeah. the culture, it's, it's house, uh, but not necessarily the church going house to house as much as every house recognizing its missional purpose. I got you. I got Family. You. Yes, yes. So it's not that all the church would come to my house, but my house recognized that there is nobody else Christian within a mile. Yeah. For instance, when we lived in Quebec, um, I remember going to a funeral, going towards Quebec City, and we would pass towns. And I remember uh, Bernard, Brother Bernard, he was a, a Francophone, and he would tell me, there are no believers in this town. And I, th and I correct him. I say, you mean there are no churches? No, there are no Christians. Mm. And so we could pass towns and tell you uh, places where we heard of a Christian, you know, and so you recognize in that community, if you are a believer, yes, you are God's person in that right. area. Right. And so where Americans, American Christians don't, you know, they don't look, they don't own their community as the place that God is divinely put. Uh, place them. It is really, well, you know, I want a better house, or this is where I am right now, or, and uh, this is where, uh, how are the schools and everything? And not to say you don't have those questions in other places, you do, classism is everywhere, but you do not have an awareness of our missional calling. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Um, so I know uh, you took over the Bridge of Hope, if I'm not mistaken, in 2015? Yes, I passed, I followed uh pastor george yes and uh and i know you said bishop trevor reed and all that listen i have been called bishop for so many years uh <laughs> my people would be like who you know <laughs> yeah pastor trevor pastor yes. george so i took over for pastor george uh love him to death great there are some people you want to follow that's right uh, and, and with that being said i was going to ask you about that following um uh, uh brother george um i know he he was there since like 1999 if i'm not mistaken before he yeah. took the position as a uh, uh as a, a state overseer here in south carolina um but with that being said i know um following somebody like that because i know we have some young ministers that say you know i i want to reach out to become a pastor but i know that i'll be following somebody that has been there somebody that is you know uh preach the word not leaving because they necessarily want to but because god is calling them to leave what, what kind of advice would you give them coming into a new church like that well i love following uh good pastors i love following men who love the lord and love people and it makes your job easier uh you don't have to you don't come in thinking you have to reinvent the wheel uh you come in again uh, re-clarifying the gospel and George was a big gospel guy yeah. and uh, so uh, my advice is 
Um, remember what they did that was great and uh, build on it. Yes. And uh, two, um, recognize that uh, God was at work before your, the one who was there. He was at work when he was there or she was there and he's at work with you. And so I think it's very important for me. I've always believed in the continuity of gospel ministry. So I've, I'm interested. So when I came here, it was very important for me to understand how did the church begin and where did the, what were the emphasis, the themes, the, the things that God was doing, because you can kind of see in the history certain things that you, no matter what you do with your great vision, you don't want to stop this because this is God at work. And so uh, I would always encourage uh, young ministers to say, do your history and see what was God doing long before you got there. You know, I'm not talking about the sake, the things that God did for a short period that became a sacred cow, but I'm talking about uh, how did God call people? Uh, uh, what did what? Be, how did that work begin? You know, like our church began as a prayer meeting, and and then you look at what were the significant events in that history, that church history. Like for our church, uh, George was there before it was Bridge of Hope, yes. and he transitioned it, and he was over it when it became a more multi-ethnic. They planted a a Spanish church. They started actually a Spanish church inside uh, and they merged with an African-American church. So that shapes the history of where we are. So yes. a praying church, a multi-ethnic church, uh, a gospel focused church. And so those are just major things that I have to remind our people, we can't ever get away from. Definitely. And we have to build on and we have to dive deep in it, you know, so the church was multi-ethnic, but, but we had to dive deep in what does it mean to be diverse? That's right. And what does it mean uh, in the context of where the church is and, and in America? What does it mean to be a diverse church and all these kinds of things? So I encourage pastors, do your history. And sure, you'll come across some stuff that's not all that great. But I think if you look deep enough with discernment, you'll see the great nuggets that God has been planting and that are not to be uprooted. That's right. And so uh, see what God's been doing and just continue it and, and let him build. And so that's important for me. We've already talked about succession at bridge. And um, in fact, the board had already began a process of identifying who would succeed me if I died or left. And one of the things I, I want to do with, you know, him is talk about what we're doing because we're, we're going all in on disciple making and wanting to make sure you can go in a, whatever way when I'm gone, you know, mm -hmm. maybe 20 years or whatever, but yeah. um, this church is called to make disciples. Yeah. And so we have to talk about what are our convictions around that. And so that whoever comes in, this is a multi-ethnic church, a very diverse church. And so there has to be an emotional uh, uh, intelligence here and, and an awareness of how to work with different people groups. And um, 
So there's just some things that I want to encourage young pastors to be aware of. And remember, every church had a beginning. And, and I believe pastors are required to do two things. Uh, raise up new pastors mm -hmm. and raise up new churches. Yes. And so uh, I think a past, it makes no sense that I'm a pastor and nobody is desiring uh, to follow to some extent in the calling that I am in. Yes. Uh, and that nobody wants to shepherd a congregation or feel the burden or start a new work. I'm I want to speak like we just started a, a campus now uh, faster than I intended, uh, but I'm glad. And we just started a campus around 90 minutes away in, in the Apex Raleigh area. And, but we've been already been speaking we want to begin new discipling communities. Yeah, uh, we've we helped plant a church in Jersey City. We've plant helped plant churches in Sierra Leone. This is the first one in North Carolina, and um, and hopefully the Lord will give us some campuses closer, uh, nice. within you know within thirty miles or whatever. Yeah. And so that's, but to me that's DNA, and I think it's important for young pastors to recognize the DNA of their church, uh, to, to uh, the continuity of the DNA, and also recognize every pastor has to mentor, has to disciple, which are two different things, yes. and must be a part of mothering something beyond itself. Yes. Now, I know uh, you were, again, you came to our state uh, convention, our state um, assembly or conference now is what we're calling it, um, state conference. I know it's changed a couple of times. But uh, and you preached an awesome message um, on being diverse churches and um, never forget what you said. You know, um, you say you're a church for everybody until somebody comes in and worships a little different than uh, than you do. Um, but how is it ministering in in, uh, in a diverse church and how can leaders that are, you know, my heart is I live in Williamston, South Carolina, which is a town of four thousand people and um and, and it's just an old country town, you know, that kind of thing. But my heart and has always been to, you know, have a diverse church, step out into that. How can pastors, especially, you know, those that are stepping into places that have not been so diverse? And, you know, we've been there's a lot of churches in the South that are not diverse. We have our white church. We have our African-American church. We have our Spanish church. Um, what kind of advice would you give those pastors? Well, I would say first, do research, uh, understanding why we have uh, these different uh, monolithic churches. Um, so you have, listen, there's no way around this. You have black American churches because whites didn't let blacks into church. Yes. So that's how you got the black church. Yes. So recognize you have uh, Spanish churches because uh, black and white churches did not often entertain multilingual a multilingual character in the congregation. Yes. So, so for pastors who are wanting to branch out into diversity, in, into the diversity of uh, the context of America, I would say lean into why they are not naturally drawn to our church. Uh, in fact, I heard, I wish I had it. Uh, let me just, there was an awesome podcast. In fact, one of the best podcasts I've heard on a diverse church. 
Um, and I just want to give it to you. Give it to you. Who is it? Oh, real quick, real quick. One second. Uh, okay. Shows. It is um, right. Unseminary. It's the Unseminary podcast. And it, uh, the Unseminary podcast by Rich Birch. Yes. And he just had a pastor who was talking about uh, the work they did in Boston. And so just look it up. And I think yeah, it's definitely. the latest podcast. Okay. It's by Unseminary podcast, Rich Birch. I listen to it and I hate it. When you listen to it, then it moves it away. Yeah. But I can't figure out the name of the guy. But let me tell you, the best process for uh, leaning into diverse church, first of all, need to recognize the differences. And often what happens is uh, there was a great, he, he referred to a great research uh, into multi-ethnic churches by a, 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 by a woman at Duke, a professor at Duke. And uh, one, recognize that most multi-cultural uh, churches are similar in that they have a dominant culture. Mm -hmm. And that's also the weakness and the potential, the downfall of that culture, because they're often asking all cultures to be like theirs. Mm -hmm. And so I think you, you, you've got to hear the stories and the voices and recognize uh, that you've got to jump into what are the pains and the heartaches of these cultures and you got to speak to them. That's right. Um, and so if you're talking about, you know, black culture, you you've got to speak about injustice. You can't talk about uh, the black community without dealing with the history of African-Americans in America. Yes. Um, you can't talk about the Latino community. And obviously you've got several communities. I mean, you've got yes. all of Central and South America and the Spanish Caribbean, and they're all very different. But you've got to lean into their stories and understand their pain. Same thing with the Pan-African Af Pan or the Pan-Asian communities. Mm -hmm. So if you wanna be diverse, know the stories and reach people with a respect for their culture. Yes. And allow them to remain in their culture when they come. And then there's representation. Yes. Um, if you want people at your church, it helps to have leaders who look like them in your church. Uh, if you're planting a church and you want it to be diverse, I am amazed when I go to websites. I always look at churches' websites to see, you know, I hear great things and I want to see who's your leadership. Yeah. What does it look like? Who speaks to into the soul of your congregation? Uh, do, do women have a voice? Do Blacks have a voice? Do Latino? Do Asians? Do Pacific uh, uh, people groups? You know, who has a say uh, in the voice of that congregation? Look at the boards and those kinds of things. So uh, be aware that you can't just do surface. Yes. Uh, you've got to do deep dives and you've got to be present. Uh, you got to get out the building and you've got to be aware of the businesses, the, the places and the, and the needs of community. And you've got to be able to serve them. Definitely. So, uh, yeah, those are just some some tidbits, I guess. Yes. Um, and I know uh, you mentioned a while ago about Bridge of Hope is in this mindset of discipling. 
and making disciples. Um, and as the body of Christ, the more I talk to pastors and the more um, I feel like we're trying to get that back where we need to disciple more. Um, we get excited about the um, salvations on Sunday. We celebrate it. As you said, we put so much into Sunday. We want it to be perfect, even though half the time it's not because the sound system messed up or the technology messes up or different things. But we, we lose the side of discipling a lot of times. And um, why, do, why do you think we have lost that side of that discipleship? I think it's because one, we've put conversion against discipling and not recognizing scripture doesn't do that. No. Uh, when Jesus says, come and follow me, he's talking about come and be my disciple. Yes. He's talking about conversion. Uh, if you go to Matthew 28, the Great Commission, the Great Commission is not conversion evangelism. It is make disciples. Yes. So we all, So part of the problem is we do not see conversion as a component of disciple making. That's number one. Mm -hmm. Number two, uh, congregations will do what pastors do. Yes. And part of the problem, I don't know how else to put this, <laughs> pastors don't make disciples. And so um, you don't have churches that make disciples. Yes. So like, for instance, like now at Bridge, we are committing uh, to, you know, make disciples. One of the components that we're using are, is what we call microgroups, a group of three to five people, uh, same gender, who are discipling one another. And so we began that last year, and then we're multiplying it this next month, February, mm -hmm. and we start, and so each of those become lead microgroups. And I let that from the beginning, and now I'm starting a new microgroup. There can never be a point in the pastorate now where I am not specifically discipling people. Yes. Not mentoring, mm -hmm. not developing a minister. I am discipling people and people are speaking into my own discipleship. And I think because pastors are not making disciples and they're not even assessed <laughs> by what, you know, how many people do you have? Uh, what's your budget? And what does the building look like? And how's your worship team? And all of this stuff that really is fluff. Yeah. Because uh, it comes back to, is everything you do about making disciples? To me, I'm going to get a little critical here. So within the Pentecostal, Pentecostal movement, everything seems to be about revival. We need revival. I just don't see that as the calling or the work of the church. Revival is the work of God. He does it as he will. Yes. The calling and the biblical mandate of the church is to make disciples. Yes. But we're after trying to get people on fire for God, where Christ called us make disciples. And his spirit will animate, invigorate, and revitalize nations and people groups and whatever. We have to make disciples. We have to constantly look for people of peace. We have to constantly share the gospel and bring them into our homes and into our lives and connect them with people we're connected to and make disciples. And, and I think this is very important because my goal, Paul talks about 
groaning until everyone is fully formed in Christ. My goal is for every uh, member and follower or whatever you want to call them, the weakest person in our church has to be able to make disciples. Yes. I, you can't, I want it to, I want to get to the point where you can't even volunteer until you can show you can make a disciple. Mm -hmm. Because even if you're a greeter, you should be on the hunt looking for people who, hmm, is this a fourth soil person? And when I talk about fourth soil, Jesus talks about the gospel of the kingdom and he talks about the soil that went out the soul, fell on stony ground and thorny ground and all this. But the, but then there is one that fell on good ground. Yes. And we, you disciple those where the word is received and they are willing to respond to it, obey it and replicate it. That's yes. fourth soil. And that's who you disciple. Everyone else, you're just casting seed, developing relationships, trying until they come to say, I want to follow Christ. Yeah. And so conversion is following Christ. So we don't do the, you know, repeat after me prayer. I'm not doing that. Not, you know, no. If, if you're saved, then that means you're going to follow Christ. Yes. And every couple of weeks, I'm going to ask, who here is committed to follow Christ and is ready to be baptized? And if you're ready to be baptized, that means it's because you have followed Christ. And so I'm not asking for you to raise your hand. I see you. I see you in the back. Yeah, I'm not doing that stuff. Um, you have to commit to follow Christ. Yes. Uh, he's not begging you. He's inviting you. Yes. And you have to respond. And when you respond, we're going to take you through a process. And so discipleship begins is a pre-conversion beginning. We begin with disciple making begins before they are converted, yes. but it continues until we are glorified. And so I think the problem of the church is that we've got into revivalism and, and we've got away from biblical Christianity. Yes. Um, and so we are trying to get people on fire for God. Mm -hmm. uh, you make disciples, people get on fire. <laughs> you know, yeah, definitely. we're not making disciples. We're making, uh, we don't have volunteers. We have followers of Christ. Uh, and so you're, you're, we're not trying to get people to accept Jesus as their savior. Trying to, we're trying to invite people to follow and die. Yes. And that's how, uh, disciple making becomes a life of the church, but it begins with the pastor. If the pastor is not all in, if the pastor just wants to preach and will not commit to make disciples of people personally, yes, then you won't have a church that will make disciples. It just won't do it. It won't yeah. happen. And, and I think when um, as we make those disciples, then we won't see the falling away as much as because like you said, now they're finding out who Jesus is and not just finding out, following Jesus and becoming a true, you know, follower of God. And, you know, because I've known many a times where, and you, I know you've probably seen it too. People say, oh, I've given my life to Jesus, but three weeks later, four weeks later, they're right. gone. They're, they're back to where they used to be. But if we'll commit to that discipleship, then, then that'll change, change people's lives. I, I think America needs to follow the example of how you 
lead people to Christ when you're in another culture. So let's say we go to a Muslim nation and you go to a Muslim nation and you preach the gospel. And the first person who said, the first Muslim said, oh, I want to follow Jesus. You don't just let them follow Jesus. You, you have to tell them, do you understand the cost? Do you understand what it means? And you invite them to your family, you live with them until they are ready to die. Yes. Because ultimately you are costing them, you are death to them. Yes. You're costing them their family, their lifestyle, their, their reputation. Uh, you may even be caught, you may, you may, they may be losing their career. Yes. And so, but in, in our, and part of our problem is, is we just, it seems like people are begging people to come to Jesus mm -hmm. uh, and they want wins. They want, you know, to be able to report so many people. And I find that they're making less disciples. Listen, we, we, we've baptized in the, in the pandemic. Mm -hmm. we've taken in members in the pandemic we've started churches in the in uh, a campus in the pandemic uh but it's only to the extent that we commit to make disciples so this is not about you know trying oh man i want to come to your church well you really don't have to yeah. you could just follow jesus yeah and if you're going to follow him and turn to him uh, then you're not drawn to my church. You're drawn to my Lord. That's right. And the problem is I'm not trying to win people to my church. Right. I'm trying to win people to Christ. And so, and, and so therefore we're putting our money in making disciples, not in trying to get people to like my church. Yes. Um, you know, we're, it just is the reality. We are putting our money behind that. Yeah, yeah, it's just the reality. Definitely. Uh, Definitely. Yeah. Well, um, we come to the time where every guest looks at me and says, are you crazy? But um, we love this time, and that's the word association time. And yeah. uh, and we have a great time with this. And so the first one I want to say, and all you have to do is just give me a couple thoughts on, on the word. Um, sanctification. Uh transformation uh daily dying that i might be transformed yes um baptism of the holy ghost the power the energy the burden to make christ known and loved that's that's good i like that um uh what about uh uh, technology in worship. An overrated tool. Would you like to go and a little I, deeper with that? Yeah. Um, we, we're leaning into technology. Yes. Uh, it at bridge, like, you know, every, we're constantly like, we just went with 21 days of fasting we're asked ask, uh, every night one of our families to lead the church in devotions. Uh, we're streaming. We do three services a week. You know, we do our online service. That's why I taped today. And then I preach two different services on Sunday. So great. We use technology. Yes. But it is overrated to the extent that if it is not driven by, uh, if it is not driven by a, a mission, 
a biblical mission, then it really is a toy. Uh, in some sense, a useless toy. It's like a, it's like a Tesla without an engine. You know, it's pretty, but it it ain't gonna do nothing. It ain't gonna move. And that and so in that sense, technology is overrated when it's not tied to mission. Yes, it is beautiful, and it is mission extending when it is tied to the mission. Yeah. It's like the microphone that it amplifies. But if if the church is led by technology, then man, you you just have toys. Yes. And I have seen churches love toys. Yes. And man, it, it's it's a house built on cards and sand. Yeah. But technology that is that is merely a tool that's used by mission. Ooh, you you can't get enough of it. it it's it yeah, you can't get enough of it. Definitely. So I, I love it when it is when it is just a tool sure. and 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 it is made simple for people to use. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, music and worship. Uh, an asset and music in worship. I need to ask you for clarity. Yes. What do you mean, music in worship? Well, I think about I, it. As, I think about it as you know, bringing in an atmosphere, leading in an atmosphere, leading in a um, help, leading those that have come out of a world that's full of noise. Um, I think about. Uh, Elisha, when the kings came to him and said, hey, you know, um, this is going on. Elisha said, bring me the harp, uh, you know, so so he could change the atmosphere of what's going on around them. Um, that's that's my my feelings of, you know, praise and worship. Okay. worship. So I, I look at music as music is in the heavens. Yes. Uh, the angels are singing somehow, it seems. Uh, when David dreamed about building a temple. Uh, Hezekiah later said that on the basis of what David and Nathan had said, we're going to have instruments, a part of the temple ministry, uh, sing a new song, all these wonderful psalms about music. We see Miriam with the tambourine. Yes. Um, so I believe music is a part of the disciples' worship. I got you. And that disciple must bring it to the service. Got you. So uh, music, a uh, music that is tied to the service, but not tied to the disciples' life expression. If you're not singing apart from Sunday, then probably Sunday won't matter much. That's right. Sunday won't do damage. Definitely. Sunday. Sunday won't enlivening. So David was able to drive out that spirit out of Saul because David was on the fields playing before God. And when he had to just play before an audience, he was able to drive out the spirit in that audience because he was already uh, a yielded instrument before God. So uh, word association, music in worship 
um, is an asset, caveat, if those who are in the worship have already been utilizing the music. Yes. And so I think you got to bring it with you. I mm -hmm. was telling the church the other day, I, I was shouting before I got in the church. Yes. And I was lifting my hands to the Lord. My kids are constantly asking me to be quiet. They believe music has to be great, sound great. They've got their earphones in because we're all supposed to have our separate music. Dad, stop singing. And I'm like, when God stops being good, I will stop singing. So when I get to church, what else am I going to do? Don't, don't start a song because I'm going to sing. And when the song stops, you probably going to have to look at me and say, oh boy, he's not finished, but we got to move on because I'm still singing. <laughs> That's right. I go lie. Music don't stop. The, the, when the instruments stop, my song ain't over. That's right. So it, it's, so that's why it's an asset uh, with the caveat. It had to be with the individual before. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, the last one of word association 2020 and 2021 is kind of a double um, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about that? 2020 is pain. Yeah. Grieving. I lost, I, it is, it's definitely not less than 50 and it may be up to a hundred people. Mm. Uh, just, and fu people, funerals that I couldn't be in, I had to stream into and, uh, I, I, um, I had three, just in the last six weeks I've had three people die in the, my family in the last three weeks uh, before that another member died from COVID uh, in December December 10th I mean just heart wrenching and fruitful yes it was morning and it was one of our church's best years yes so I, I'm, I'm, I'm like, Paul, I'm betwixt. Which one is better, to depart or to stay? Uh, I've, which one is more definitive of 2020? Being fruitful or being in pain of my soul? And it's, I'm, I'm caught. Yeah. It's, it's both. Yeah. 2021, persevere, man. Definitely. Persevere. Like, uh, this thing ain't left. Uh, we still got work to do. That's right. Uh, we still got to be wise and vigilant. And um, there's still, man, there's people to be one to the Lord. Definitely. There's, and there's disciples to be made. And there's people to love and live with. So that's 21 for me. Yes. Um, yeah. it, now, the last question I always ask my guest, and... Um, and this is uh, something that um, we've taken very serious. And this is one of the main reasons why we started this uh, podcast, this video is if you just preach a message or just share the gospel or just somebody came to you and said, hey, I've just given my life to God. What would be the next step that you would tell them? Come join me. If it's a man, come join me and some brothers and let's meet weekly and and, uh, and love God together. If it's a woman, let me uh, get you with some sisters and let's uh, get you so that you can love God with them together. Uh, I, I think you've got to live in community and you've got to walk this out in small community. The church can grow yes. uh, corporately, uh, but disciple making is corporate. 
and disciple making is small. Yes. And so, and you need both. Uh, and we're going to help you serve. Uh, we're going to help you multiply. We're going to help you be effective. Uh, we're going to help you uh, grow. Uh, but you, you've got to make a commitment that you are not going to be a one-day Christian. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Well, I want to thank you so much, uh, Pastor Trevor, for being with us tonight. Thank you today. for inviting me. Um, I know uh, you're at Bridge of Hope uh, Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. Um, yep. And uh, if you want to find out address, times, they have their website, bridgeofhope.church. Um, you can look up that. Also find them on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, yep. any social media, really, you can find them all. Um, and if you're in the Raleigh area, go to Bridge of Hope apex and yes. we've got a new campus out there exactly. so um it's a new it's a new they've just started and so uh yeah join us or join us online bridgeofhope.church yes and um and i'll link all the information down below i tell all my friends all the time if you're ever in these areas go visit and i know bridge of hope would love to have you stop by and visit them if you're in the greensboro area um and, and just just say hey they'll love on you trust me and they'll uh, They'll be there with you. But I want to say thank you again. Um, any uh, uh, last words to our uh, listeners before we close out this podcast? Guys, it's been a difficult time, but this really is the best time to be alive. It's the best day. Uh, it's the best, best age of the kingdom. So uh, lean into it and uh, trust the Lord and watch, uh, watch him do things in you and through you that you just weren't expecting. Definitely. Definitely. Again, thank you so much. And for those that are watching this, you can follow us on Facebook, on uh, Twitter, on YouTube. Just look up Traveling Stories Podcast. Also, you can um, listen to us on Spotify, Google Podcast, on about anywhere, Anchor, um, Apple Podcasts. We're about on any podcast that you can find us on. Um, but we want to thank you so much for watching us. And I always say this, now that you've heard our stories, you go and tell your stories. So people that are far from Christ, can hear how great our God is and and hopefully come to him. And as we talked about earlier, then we can disciple and love on them and, and hopefully people will change their hearts for Jesus. But again, thank you so much for watching this. Thank you so much for listening. I want to say God bless you. We love each and every one of you. And we hope to see you soon on the Traveling Stories Podcast.